Welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. This is episode number 146. I am your host, Nicholas Minix, and I am joined by, as usual during the week, Eno Saris. Eno, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm about to uh, move on Monday. That's going to suck. <laughs> that is going to suck, but um, considering that last time you said uh, you were having to deal possibly with that being pushed up until the uh, this, the non-waiver trade deadline for baseball... Uh, might be good if hopefully hope let's hope you get that knocked out uh, well in advance of that uh, that's a good point actually i'm not moving on the 31st uh that would <laughs> suck even harder <laughs> nothing nothing like downward comparison this is true this is true but uh if things continue to go kind of the way they have lately uh, maybe most of the trades that could happen on july 31st will be done by then uh and that kind of takes us into our first topic, which is that uh, Detroit has acquired Joaquin Soria from the Texas Rangers. And uh, probably the more interesting news immediately attached to that is that Detroit has uh, made it clear that they plan, at least for now, although they didn't say that part, the at least for now, to stick with Joe Nathan as closer. And we talked about him on a couple of occasions, and basically he suffers from old man disease as far as closers go, or pitchers in general, players in general. Uh, he has, I'd like to bring up, now, this does not inspire much confidence for me. I'm assuming the same for you. Uh, he has pitched a little better lately in his last seven innings, all of them in, in this month. Um, he has uh, an ERA under four, and the strikeout minus walk rate um, is about 10%. And just in general, there have been some improvements. What I have noticed is, and this is based on some news read that he had uh, tried to change his arm slide or anything like uh, something like that, and I checked out uh, some of his pitch effects data I don't really notice much of a difference in terms of uh, release points uh, or even the breaks or anything like that. So uh, I'm starting to tend to think that maybe this is just one of the better months for Nathan and eventually he screws up and sucks anyway. Disagree or agree? Yeah, uh, I mean, he just overall, he just looks like an old man. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I say this as an old man, I can say these things. Hey, um, hey. <laughs> be careful <laughs> <laughs> but uh i mean just the, the overall numbers of the year it's just so it's really hard to to appraise a reliever just you know it's a collection you know bullpen is a collection of small samples a relief year is a small sample and uh but you know it, he's he's not too far off of what he's done in the past so i guess it's not impossible i i just lean on the fact that the beats the beat writers all agree the team has said it, you know, you know, for the most part, you know, MLB.com, often the, the mouthpiece of the team um, uh, the writer says uh, that um, uh, Nathan will stay the closer. So uh, and they said that, you know, going into the, the period that they wanted to find someone uh, that uh, would slot in behind him. But, um, you know, he's given up a lot of homers. Um, he never was known for his, uh, for his ground ball rate. And, uh, now that he's walking a lot of people, those homers have become more meaningful than they have, uh, in the past. And it's looking a little bit like 2011, um, which was not a great year for him. So, um, I definitely, there's a non-zero chance Soria gets it. 
I just don't know how long it's going to be. So I just, if I was a surreal owner, I just, I'd hold on to him for a little bit longer. Yeah. I mean, that was my thought is it's not so much. I mean, yeah, everything says Detroit wants to stick with Nathan the closer, but everything about Nathan's performance says that seems like it's suicide. Uh, and he may pitch, he may pitch well for, you know, for the rest of this month and maybe a little bit. I mean, it, when you get to a point where he, maybe he goes through another bad spell if that happens, especially if that happens sometime in August where, it, you know, sorry, it can make a difference, you know, pick up several saves or something in September. I mean, as you get closer to the end of the season, it matters less, but, and it's harder to hold on to Soria. But at the same time, as it gets closer to the end of the season, um, the, it, it's more imperative or, or uh, Detroit is, you know, more apt, I think, to feel kind of the panic if Nathan starts to suck again and continues to suck. I mean, it's, there's, I think a little bit of a balance beam act to kind of, uh, uh, basically be in there if you're a fantasy owner and certainly the depth of the league is kind of, kind of move in a perpendicular way to that. But I mean, it, just anyway, I think it's, I mean, it'll be an interesting dynamic and as a Soria owner in two leagues, I definitely hope that he sucks soon and hard and for a long time. You mean Nathan? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Crap. Yeah. I hope I didn't jinx no, that. Yes, uh, Nathan. But uh, let's wish the juju on the right guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Nathan's velocity actually, just looking at it, was ticking up like close to 93. Um, you know, for a bit there, but uh, the last three times out uh, has been south of 92. So, you know, it's possible he already had his little velocity peak. Yeah. Uh, but if you look at sort of 2012, uh, 2013, he has a little ups and downs over the course of a season. Um, so, you know, if he's taking a, he's taking a little breather and he's going to come back strong, then, uh, you know, they, they should have this going into the season. The only complaint I have is from sort of a real life uh, fantasy perspective. The idea that they just signed Joe Nathan and and we're done with it, um, with improving the bullpen. That was just ridiculous. So I think, yeah. you know, if yeah. I had been running the team, I probably wouldn't have even spent all that money on Nathan. I probably would have gone out and gotten, like, calls. And um, not, not, I'm not trying to, like, look retroactively and be like, which one's worked out. I probably would have gotten a hammer hand, too. You know, I just would have gotten three or four guys um, that uh, I thought were good arms that might work out. And, you know, when Hanrahan turfed out and Qualls worked out and then somebody else hopefully worked out, I would have had two or three uh, good pitchers. I mean, get Java, you know, get Qualls, get Hanrahan, get another guy, get like four guys, call guys in on minor league invites, you know, turn one of your uh, minor league starters into a, into a, a reliever uh, for the year. So uh, I, I didn't quite see that level of urgency from him. I just saw them, you know, we're going to sign Java and we're going to sign Nathan and that's when to wash our hands. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, I think, uh, I th- like you said, I mean, and you mentioned this before, but just the the misguided attempt to fix this bullpen. Uh, and I, I mean, I, I, to me, it's kind of confounding as to why some teams take this approach of throwing money at a problem that seems to be, I mean, plenty of teams show a knack for fixing it uh, via other much more low-cost methods. Yeah, like, like the, look at the team that Surya is leaving, right? That team, it didn't work out for them, but it wasn't necessarily their bullpen that was the reason it didn't work out. I mean, they just they had a really bad year with respect to injuries and other things. So, um, you know, they went and uh, they signed Nathan, but they also signed Soria. 
both guys that had been closers that were at the at the bottom of their value for injury reasons and stuff like that. Um, and yet they still had Feliz and they still had, um, you know, Cots and a, a couple of guys that they um, that they had that were starters that they could turn into relievers. So they they changed, they turned a couple guys into relievers. They signed uh, Feliz and Saria, and that's sort of how I would have run it. So now they, now they actually have a decent amount of choices, and yet, you know, Feliz has been named the closer, but... You know, they, they've got uh, Cots. The only reason I don't love Cots as an option is because he throws, like, 88, 89. Um, and they've got Tolson, who also doesn't have a lot of velocity. So I think Feliz has the most velocity. It's been a little bit up and down this year. Um, and I think we can sort of – that's something you can watch as a leading indicator is just to see uh, what he's hitting on the gun. I've, I've You know, I've seen uh, – even since he's been back, he's hit as much as 94, 95 as an average for a game and then uh, had games with 92. So – um, you know, I'd, I'd watch the velocity on Feliz. That's what's going to separate him from the other guys uh, that are in that bullpen. But, you know, just them sort of naming him um, puts him in the front seat. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, we were kind of headed that way. Obviously, Feliz, I mean, he's a pretty much a pickup in all leagues. And that's kind of exciting. Um, and, you know, potentially for next year, because obviously he'll, he'll probably be a front runner uh, unless Texas spends money on the position. But considering the health problems and it just – they have probably a lot else going on at the you know, on the roster, and they've always kind of hoped. I think Felice will fill in that closer's role. That's a, that's not necessarily a direction. That's that's probably one of the the lowest priorities uh, on their sh- uh, winter shopping list. Uh, and another trade has gone down is that uh, uh, Seattle Manners have picked up Kendris Morales from the Minnesota Twins. So uh, Morales probably enjoyed his stay in Minnesota for a month and a half, two months, whatever it was. Um, actually, I guess it's a little less than that. It's probably about a month to a month and a half. And <laughs> I mean, we, Seattle, we know is a team that's been looking to pick up bats. I think, well, first of all, it's interesting to me. Um, yeah, they have been seeking right-handed hitting power. And, uh, this season, I think Morales has actually had, well, first of all, this season, Morales has not hit for any power, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but, um, but, and he's, I mean, he has a 135 ISO against left-handed pitchers this year, uh, which is actually better than what he's done against right-handed pitchers. But I think, and, and maybe maybe that's kind of, um, I mean, I'll be interested to see, I guess, if this is, I think, basically, I guess I'm just, I'm underwhelmed if this is, uh, considering uh, they didn't necessarily have to give up a ton to get him, but uh I'm underwhelmed if this is the move that they make is kind of a, maybe a consolation prize uh, for the pitch. I mean, they were uh, considered in Mar- uh, interested in Marlon Bird, maybe in Alex Rios, a couple of other names that we consider a little bigger. Um, uh, well, maybe they're saving the chips for a price or whatever. So yeah, that that could be uh, true. Or maybe someone talks some sanity into them and and they realize and they shouldn't spend a lot of assets on trying to get the second wild card slot. But um, <laughs> you know. Uh, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to just look at Morales and say something other than his powers on, but I don't really have much better to say. I did, I did notice this on uh, baseball heat maps. Um, you got this thing where they, they just chart out all his homers and flies, um, and then uh, show you the average. The average has gone down a little bit, but I think more telling um, than what's happening with his average is that the maximum distance fly balls are all gone. Um, over like 360 feet, he has two 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 balls that have gone 
further than about 350 feet uh, this year. And um, in about five times the sample last year, he had, you know, what looks like, you know, 30. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the tail end, you know, the sort of maximum distance stuff is all gone for him right now. Um, and in general, the places that they're clustering, he's clustering around 280 feet, um, 260 feet. So that's, that's not good. Uh, <laughs> but it doesn't really, you know, it's just sort of a descriptive thing. It doesn't really tell us, um, you know, what he, even he needs to, to fix, but, but, um, you know, going from Minnesota, uh, is either neutral or worse, uh, getting some playing time, um, you know, will help. I mean, like power only, you only know more about it in bigger samples. So, you know, give him, give him more playing time, give him, give him another chance. But at this point, he looks like a deep leaguer to me, especially since he probably won't be playing every day with um, that cast of characters they have in Seattle. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I can't help but wonder. It was actually, yeah, he's, he's hit for better power against right handed pitchers. So as a left handed hitter, uh, and they are, this is a team that says it's been, you know, it's been in pursuit of right handed power hitting bat. And, I mean, this year, actually, I guess Morales is hitting for a better ISO uh, as a right-handed hitter, and so maybe that's kind of the straw they're grasping at. I mean, that's kind of an obscure thing, uh, but you know, historically, he has been a better hitter uh, as a left-hand, a better power hitter as a left-handed hitter, uh, which puts him on a short side if it turns out you know that he's he loses at bats the wrong way or anything like that. But it's like, what's the difference at this point between I mean, between him and Justin Smoke? Except Smoke can at least feel his position. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's just kind of a rough move. And I think, I mean, they, and it's another room we, we uh, rumor we could get to it's, uh, they, you know, they've also asked Colorado about Drew Stubbs. I mean, what's even the point there? Stubbs is a part-time outfielder, I guess. I mean, he's another outfielder who, you know, is probably going to have a sub 300 OBP. I mean, he's, he's this, he's the exact same kind of hitter that Seattle has already screwed up in its system. I mean, it just doesn't seem like if Jack Sutzerinzik is looking to make a move that is, uh, hey, I was on the hot seat here coming into this season and I want to make the playoffs. I just don't see the point of, I mean, Morales and then maybe Stubbs. And uh, I mean, we're like, do, do you think that maybe one of the teams you were talking to, Marlon Bird, you know, about Marlon Bird, Alex Rios, one of these, maybe they want the combination of those two guys. I don't know. It just is kind of a, it's just kind of a misguided and short-sighted attempt to really go after it. I mean, like you said, maybe someone has talked to him since of them and they realize that that fifth and final playoff spot isn't worth a whole lot, but. Or they're trying to, uh, you know, maybe the biggest improvement they can make is over Chris Young. Cause it's not like uh, a lot of, um, it's not like a lot of impact bats are available this, this deadline. I mean, I haven't really heard anything. I mean, Tulo is the is the you know the name that um, uh, is it, yeah Tulo is the name that everybody is sort of salivating about, but it's not the one uh, that uh, is probably going to happen. I don't think so. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, do you do you not consider say Rios or and Bird and I guess, but you know they—they've said they've stated that uh, power is their goal, and on some level at least. So, um, you know, I don't I mean, think, I think Rios, has... like I said before, I don't think Rios necessarily um, provides uh, a ton of power right now. Oh, that's true. But I mean, it was it, it, I guess it depends on what you're looking at. I mean, impact bat versus, but yeah, they—they they are looking for power. But Bird has, 
I'm going to guess off the top of my head. I haven't looked it up, but he has a, roughly at least a 175 ISO, I think, because his average is not... This is what's so difficult at this time. We, we, we don't know what the actual offers are, but the rumors are that Ruben Amaro uh, was treating uh, uh, Bird as a, as a hot uh, top asset uh, that would require, uh, you know, a lot to require. And, and, and considering that, uh, you know, Jorge de la Rosa supposedly was going to cost Gossman, um, I, I well, think that... Well, they asked for Gossman. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's the same thing, but... In general, it seems like the reason we don't see more trades is that um, the people trying to make trades are uh, acting just like the annoying guy in our fantasy leagues uh, that's asking for the moon. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, so it, it's tough. It's tough for them to make trades, just like it's tough for us to make trades. There's also a rumor that Ruben Amaro is an idiot. And,. <laughs> As a Phillies fan, I'm going to say that there's more truth to that than just rumor. <laughs> there's fire. There's fire there. It's not... <laughs> and speaking of the Phillies, uh, there's a rumor. Or Buster Olney says he's been told by evaluators <clears throat> that the July 31st trade deadline does not apply to, to Cliff Lee, uh, who, of course, is a Philadelphia Philly and could be, but only at most for the next not just week, but perhaps five or six weeks uh, because the, he makes the kind of money. I mean, he's basically due almost $50 million guaranteed in the next year and a half um, with uh, different or, or next two and a half years. I'm going to have to double check my facts on that now. But basically, whatever it is, he is owed, it, it, he is owed close to $50 million uh, over that period guaranteed because of an option year that, uh, with an expensive buyout. And Basically, that means that uh, no team in its right mind would would attempt to claim him. Although, I mean, I think at this point, I I don't see why a team couldn't try try to block a move and just say, "Look, we can't work out a deal." I don't know uh, all the rules of waiver trades, but yeah, that... if somebody was willing, because they'd risk uh, just taking on the contract if if they if they put a waiver claim in, then the Phillies could say, "Okay, he's yours. Uh, good luck with him." Okay. Uh, so they but don't I, actually have to agree to treat. I mean, they could swap them. They could say like, "All right, well, well, you know, give us a bucket of baseballs, and he's yours." And or they can say, or they can pull him back off of waivers and, and just keep them. So, you know, it, it, they they could make the trade just because. Um, I, you know, I guess Cliff Lee is at that point where it's a, it would be risky, but there are certain teams, um, you know, that that might be able to 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 risk that sort of thing. Um, you know, like the Dodgers. Yeah. Um, you know, if they think the Giants are close to getting Lee, uh, they just put in a claim. I mean, I guess the Giants would have the first claim over the Dodgers. So it would have to be someone that was a little bit further behind. But maybe the Mariners could say, okay, you know what? This is the kind of outlay that we can do in the short term. Um, and we're just going to put a, a claim in. And I think, uh, you know, I think then the Phillies would say, okay, well, if you actually want them, then give us a little something. And, and you know, I mean, Cliff Lee, to me, is very interesting because, you know, yes, um, his first start back wasn't great in terms of velocity. Um, uh, he was, uh, let me do it by game here. He was uh, <clears throat> sitting around, um, well, you haven't put it up yet? That's weird. Uh, he was sitting around 89, um, and uh, he's been mostly 90, 91 this year. Um, so yeah, the velocity wasn't quite there, but the one thing that we did learn about, uh, pitchers coming back from the DL is that, uh, it usually takes three 
uh, starts to, to become stable. So there's still two more starts um, that we can learn something from um, from Leona's health. Um, and uh, in terms of like what I would want out of a pitcher in terms of Arsenal uh, for longevity, I think that Cliff Lee is like the perfect uh, the perfect uh, description of that. Like um, great changeup, uh, good curveball. He doesn't use a lot, uh, so he has things that breaks in both directions and um, uh, uh, force. Uh, uh, it doesn't matter to me what fastball, but a fastball um, and also uh, great, um, uh, great control. I mean, great control and a changeup have been. There's the only things we've been shown that have sort of positive effects on on uh, health outcomes. So, you know, to me, Lee is um, you know, the kind of guy that should last pretty long. Um, and he's done it in both the AL and NL. And, you know, there's just this asterisk of, you know, him coming back from injury. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think he, he makes sense as a nice trade commodity because, I mean, I think um, from the Phillies' perspective, I can kind of understand it's two straight years that his velocity has declined. And he's just he's not going to be the same player. But, I mean, you're talking about uh, probably kind of finite grit. I mean, it's probably a gradual aging process for the, you know, for the kind of like the reasons you cited. Um, and so that even if he's not a three ERA pitcher, he's still a 350 to 375 ERA pitcher pretty consistently, depending on ballpark and things like that. I mean, he's shown a greater ability to be hit a little hard. I mean, he's he's shown that he, he can be a hit, hit a little harder as he's kind of lost a little of the physical ability, but so many other positives that work in his favor that, uh, I mean, yeah, he's he's going to age gracefully for the most part and just have a rough outing here and up. there. Yeah, if he gives a couple of homers up, there's nobody on base for it for the most right. part. <laughs> right, and uh, he's got he's got he's got he's got legendary control. And actually, there's a piece of research that's out there that kind of is important to this: is that um, there, there was this research that said that like between uh, about 89 and 93 and 94. There's not that big a difference in, in, in fastball velocity when you link it to outcomes. In terms of fastball correlations uh, to, to swing strike rates um, and ground ball rates and homer rates, between sort of 90 and 93, uh, it's just a big mess. It's just one big clump and everybody's in there. So to say that, you know, Cliff Lee uh, went from, you know, 90 to 89 or from 91 to 90, uh, so what? You know, it's like it's, it's not that big a deal. To say that a guy like, you know, Eovaldi, uh, let's say he drops under 94, that might be a big deal because all of a sudden now you're talking about a guy who's in that sort of 93 to 89 range, uh, whereas he used to be on the outside of that, um, and he's also missing a third pitch, and so therefore, you know. So that's why I've always been worried about Eovaldi's long-term prognosis because once he doesn't have that plus-plus-plus fastball, things are going to look different for him. Cliff Lee hasn't had a plus 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 fastball in years, maybe ever. Right. And, and interesting tidbit, uh, I believe in 2010 I did a little research piece on Cliff Lee and uh, from the data I found from you know for all qualifiers in all seasons uh, Cliff Lee posted I believe it was in 2010 it was that he had a, that 10.28 command rate and I think it was the fourth best command rate uh, in a for a season. Uh, of the like the modern era. What does that mean? What is that what is the command rate? I'm sorry? What does that stat mean? What is the command rate? The the strikeout to walk ratio. Oh, nice. And it was like and it was like there had not been one as cl- as good as his at the time since uh, you know like since the 50s or 70s or something. Like he had I mean this was this was just as the, you know the 
as pitching was starting to become um, a lot more fashionable, I guess is a, is a probably a bad way to put it. But uh, just as, as pitching started to as pitching started to flip the flip the script on hitting, uh, but Cliff yeah. Lee was at the forefront of that, and uh, yeah, I mean he's he's still been pretty good. <laughs> yeah. He's- I mean, he's legendary. And his pitching mix is not that different from back then. I mean, maybe he's throwing the curveballs a tiny bit less, uh, but not really. Maybe he's throwing the cutter a little bit more, but not really. So, I mean, he's the same guy in terms of pitching mix that he was back then. And the velocity is just a little different. So, um, you know, I know it doesn't look good right now. I would just try not to sell him until the 31st, try to get another start out of him, try to get a good start out of him with, you know, just a half tick more on the gun. And, and uh, if you're trying to sell him. Um, and if you're trying to make a decision on him, just wait. Just wait for another start. Just wait a little bit longer because, I mean, quickly is the, is the business. Yeah, and uh, the good thing in fantasy leagues is that uh, our trade trade deadlines tend to happen a little later than Major League Baseball's non-waiver deadline. So, yeah. I mean, that's kind of encouraging, and that's I mean, that's good for the uh, in terms of things for the Phillies uh, if they do hope to swap Lee uh, for something, uh, well, anything useful. Uh, and sounds like they want the word for a lot of what they have, um, then they'll have this time that they are not pushed up against the, 30, the July 31st deadline. They have a, you know, potentially two, three, maybe four starts uh, before they can really start listening to stuff that's uh, starting to be more pleasing to them. San Diego needs to be, quote-unquote, overwhelmed um, to trade Ian Kennedy. Now, <laughs> Uh, this is a pitcher that they were willing to swap a bit ago, and, and I guess they, they had trouble uh, hooking up with the Angels as far as what they were, uh, as far as agreeing on compensation. Maybe this is part of the reason for it. Uh, and uh, Kennedy, the way he's pitched in the last month or so, really probably kind of incurs the Padres. It's hard to blame them. Do you see that? I mean, this is is Kennedy a long term piece for San Diego? Or something that they? I mean, I. I I kind of go back and forth on this. Uh, this is probably kind of a potentially peak season for Kennedy at this point. Why not just swap him? It's not. It's not like. Uh, well, you know, if they if they <laughs> if they don't swap him this year, it's, cer- it's certainly. Uh, I guess if you want to if you want to be optimistic, San Diego thinks he can peak for a spot next year. I don't know. I think it's a little misguided. And hey, you might be able to get a decent amount for him. You might as well do it now. And it could and be well, I mean, yeah, it could be Boston for sure. Um, they they have him for one more year. Um, you know, he's not going to be very expensive next. I mean, he might be about ten million, eleven million dollars next year. That's pretty good for what he'll do for them. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it'll be still pretty cheap. But you know, this is the time that Billy Bean would sell, right? Billy yeah. Bean would say, you know, before he's ten million dollars for me, um, I'm going to sell him to you as a six million dollar pitcher uh, with another year of arbitration. So I'm going to. I'm going to sell him as a super cheap option for you, um, and, and especially for a team maybe like Seattle. I don't know what their first strings are like, but maybe um, there's a, a team that's competitive, maybe like a Pittsburgh, um, where they haven't spent a lot of money in the past. They like to upgrade their their you know their rotation, but they can't spend a lot to do it. You know, he would be like a really attractive commodity. So you'd have to think that also that their their, their ownership position right now. Um, and their and their not their ownership. I'm sorry. The GM situation right now would put them in the, in the place where they'd want to sell it. But it, or maybe they're saying, well, this is a piece that the next GM can sell, and maybe he can sell them with the winter meetings or whatever. And 
then he can get what he can get back for Ian Kennedy what what he wants to get back. I mean, I don't even know who's selling Ian Kennedy right now. I don't even know who's taking who's taking phone calls right now. So <laughs> that is um, an excellent point. So Omar Minaya, I think. Yeah, he doesn't want the job. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, I, I don't know what'll come out of. I think selling Houston Street was very easy. Um, uh, compared to uh, uh, somebody like Kennedy, who's going to be around next year. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and Benoit, for that uh, for that matter, because you know he's also going to be on the team next year. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, just for the record, Manaya Manaya may not uh, want to take the calls. It doesn't mean he. Ha- I mean, somebody has to answer the phone, right? They don't just let it go to voicemail. Or maybe they do. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Miami also also. Sounding at least on the outside as if they're uh, they are happier to keep their player than deal him uh, with Casey McGee. Uh, they in fact they are even likelier to give him a contract extension than to deal him. This one seems a little stranger, and not just because it's Casey McGee and you think, well, this might be a career year. Uh, this is you know, this this has to be way better than what anyone could have expected. And if somebody wants to give them something of value for McGee, why not? Uh, there's there's potential reason to think that you know, McGee has kind of found something and that he could be useful beyond the season. Uh, is, is that enough for you to, or is this? Do you view this as just as a posturing move? I mean, I don't, I don't think too much of McGee. Uh, he doesn't really have uh, the power that you think of in a corner infield uh, position. He doesn't really, um, you know. I think there's a, some sort of luck uh, going on a little bit that it's floating him. Uh, but I think they might be willing to keep him around at least for another year or two, uh, if just because they don't really have something in the cupboard that's ready to go. And their their big third base prospect is Colin Moran, and though he uh, you know he has some interesting things about him, he doesn't really have a standout tool right now in a ball. He doesn't have a he has a below hundred ISO, um, he has a below average walk rate, and he only has a, an okay uh, strikeout rate. So. Um, you know, what they've got coming up looks a lot like McGee in, in certain ways, um, statistically, I would say. Um, and, uh, of course, carries a lot larger bust rate than, than McGee. So, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, it might, might make sense for them. They, they are, are, they've been doing this thing where they're trying to acquire cheap, uh, undervalued, fringe players that can get them one or two uh, wins above replacement and kind of, um, you know, be, uh, be guys, you know, so that when they get their impact prospects in there, they can move McGee to backup first baseman or first base or, you know, you know, they can, they will still have this sort of one win asset um, that nobody else wanted. Uh, and they'll be able to move him around if Moran comes up and is ready to go or they need an outfielder, whatever they need to do. So, um, I, I don't think it's necessary. I don't also don't think they're going to get much for him. So if you're not, gonna, if you're going to get, uh, you know, low A arm with, uh, you know, 85% bust rate, um, why, why send that packing when you could have a piece that, uh, might be valuable to you on, even on your bench in the future. Yeah. And then I can understand that. Um, it, I mean, the interesting thing, uh, McGee, I mean, he spent a year in Japan last year. He cites this, um, kind of revelation uh, where he learned to hit a breaking ball uh, and also that he kind of sprays the ball to all fields. And I mean, I've looked at it a little bit. I've been, I've read a couple of articles that kind of point to it and the, and the data seems to back, back up the fact that he does, he's spraying the ball 
a good bit more often and with power and as uh, I mean generally he's his pitch value against uh, breaking balls is a little better but I mean he's displayed that at times in the past it, regardless I mean he is I mean in general there's and the the strikeout rate is down et cetera et cetera but I mean I think but he's I mean, made it's, a classic he's made a classic decision which is uh, you know batting average over power I mean right uh, that's what I'm hearing from you and that's what you can see see the numbers i mean his his iso this year is half of what it had been in the past he's a he's a point oh seven six iso so i mean in terms of uh uh of wanting to own him for fantasy it's like well do i want to bet on him now where um you know i'm trying to bet on a 360 babbit uh to to float his uh his 300 batting average or did i like him better in the past when i knew i would get you know 15 homers out of him at least so um you know this well you this didn't actually, know that before. but see that's well that's the thing you didn't know that before because in his last two seasons before he went to japan it was uh you know let's see yeah. 223 batting average with 13 homers and 217 batting average with nine homers and 352 Almost plate appearances the ISO, though, still i mean like yeah that's you know, true definitely, definitely made a decision there and uh i mean if it's an obp league uh you're happy right now if you all you needed was batting average in a deep league you're happy right now um there's no reason that you would have thought to bank on that all year. Um, there's no, you're not going to get anything for him if you're going to trade for him, uh, trade him away. So I, you know, he's just one of those guys where you're like, oh, well, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I look at like, like if he had made this transition three seasons ago. I mean, he turns 32 after this season. If he had made this transition, say three years ago. Uh, and there's still like a, re- I mean, because he could, you know, you could drive in runs just by hitting for a really good batting average all the time. But, I mean, he's now it's like he's he's got to be kind of on that other side of the bell curve if you talk about. And it's like I, I'd have been, it just, I mean, I guess if you're talking yeah. a, a contract extension for a Miami, then it's like maybe it's a, you know, let's tack on a year or something. I guess I don't know. I, I mean, but yeah, it would be it would be a lot more encouraging if if uh, these changes had come along sooner for him. Um, and let that be a note to you that you should probably t- travel to Japan before you hit age 30. The The Mets uh, starting to get calls about Bartolo Colon, and uh, that was a problem. They, I mean, they weren't getting any just a couple of weeks ago. Of course, they had just made him available, made him available and uh, once you hear the asking price on pitchers like Cliff Lee or even David Price, or actually maybe just Cliff Lee because it's the Phillies trying to deal him, um, Maybe Cologne becomes a little more attractive, or 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 uh, if you're trying to deal for Ian Kennedy. But you know, reality is is that Cologne's strikeout rate, especially if he moves to the American League, is not. I mean, he's kind of number five starter material who can win you a really good playoff game. But uh, um, you know, there's probably not really a whole a whole lot more more to say. And we've talked about him a little bit in the past. Uh, do you see what, what kind of piece do you see it taking? I mean, how likely do you think it is that Cologne has moved? I think it's decently likely. I mean, it would be uh, 11, $11 million they could get back, and they uh, I think they've seen enough out of DeGrom. Um, and uh, I think DeGrom is kind of really important for them because if you have DeGrom, then you have uh, Harvey probably coming back because um, mm-hmm. Harvey wants to pitch this year, but he, you know they won't let him um, unless it's like a, a, an appearance at the very end. Uh, but, but that means to me that Harvey will be ready next year, and you'll have Harvey, uh, Wheeler, Nice, and DeGrom and that I think that means uh, you've got four guys that can pitch, uh, you know, relatively close to 200 innings um, that are young, uh, that are good, uh, and are cheap. They're all locked in. 
Um, I don't think you really need an $11 million uh, Bartolo Colon at the bottom of that rotation. I think you could um, easily uh, fill your fifth slot with um, the, the rest of the guys they've got. They've got Syndergaard. They, you know, they've got exciting guys coming up. Uh, Montero. There's ways to fill that slot without uh, $11 million. So um, I think in terms of them, they're just looking to um, you know, get, a, get a hitter. Um, and uh, the question is if, if somebody will be willing to trade a hitter for a pitcher, uh, even a hitting prospect. But maybe they can um, combine uh, with some sort of prospect to get uh, a decent hitter or something like that or, 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 or sell a reliever too. Um, but um, in any case, I mean, it's obvious what they're trying to do. They've got pitching in place. They're trying to improve their hitting somehow. If somebody's willing to step up to the plate on that, then they'll get Bartolo on it. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I mean, I hadn't even thought about that aspect, but that's entirely right. I mean, there's there's absolutely no reason the Mets shouldn't shouldn't want to deal Cologne, of course. Um, and I'm going to say that Mets window to win the World Series is 2015, 2016, before either Zach Wheeler uh, or Jake Degrom, uh, or heaven forbid, Matt Harvey needs another Tommy John surgery. Uh, before before one of those guys needs Tommy John surgery. Uh, that's their window to win the World Series because the pitching could look pretty nasty. And if they add a bat, I mean, they seems much smarter for. I mean, if they are allocating Bartolo Colon money toward hitting next season, I mean, they could be they they are set up to be a pretty decent player next year. They could, I think, you know, especially if they do trade Colon, maybe that's all it takes is actually just take that money off the the roster. Then uh, uh, they can spend ten million on top of that. They can get a twenty million dollar hitter next year. Um, it does lengthen the lineup considerably. Yeah, and you know, Granderson hasn't been as bad as Bay. Uh, you know, people people thought it was just going to be another Bay. Granderson hasn't been that bad. He can be uh, what he, he right now. He's like their leadoff hitter. So I think um, at worst, uh, Granderson can be like a good number five hitter. Um, and I like what I've seen out of Lagares, at least defensively. So um, definitely you know, defensively, but and he's shown be, he's shown a nice ability to put the ball in play and put it. I mean, and hit, hit, hit it hard. Yeah, yeah. I think he's. I don't think he's so terrible. I think if if Granderson and um, if Granderson and your shortstop um, and and, uh, and Darno, if that's the bottom of your lineup, then and Lagares, if that's the bottom of your lineup, that can be pretty good. They just need to kind of push all those guys down a little bit with, with a nice bat at the top. And particularly a corner outfielder um, would make a, a big difference for them. I don't know if they want to really put $20, uh, uh, $20 million a year on the table for Nelson Cruz. I know he's available. But, oh. uh, <laughs> you know, and, or maybe maybe it allows them to, to, to get too low or something. I don't know. But um, in any case, uh, they will have a little bit more money to spend. They're gonna, and I think just taking the eleven million dollars off, I, I revise it. They might not even need a hitter. What they just they'll ask for uh, is give us a useful bullpen arm salary. Yeah, give us a bullpen arm that might be of use to us down the road. And uh, as far as that, uh, you know what is a shame is that when you talk about twenty million, twenty plus million dollars annually freed up, it's a shame that Robinson Cano didn't hit the market just one year later. Wouldn't that have been an interesting story to see him move from one New York club to the other uh, into a team that's kind of they on the rise? Actually, they might have actually had the money for that. Yeah. yeah. It would have been really interesting. Especially with, a, as you know, Murphy is a player that they kind of wouldn't mind dealing uh, as his yeah. trade deadline approaches. That would have been in incredibly interesting to see how that would have developed. I mean, I think 
it may would have made perfect sense for them. It's a shame that that didn't uh, line up well, and that would have been some fun stuff for the New York tabloids as well. Okay. And it, since you brought up Degrom, and uh, I mean it's a great way to go, but uh, uh, one of our commenters had asked about him. I mean he's he's been impressive. I mean you you liked what you saw when you first when you first saw him his first couple of starts and just in general pitch type peripherals, but it was small samples, and uh, he's continued to pitch well. A lot. He's had some good matchups as well, but at this point, uh, and this is something that a reader has noticed, he has a tougher schedule coming up. Has he impressed you to the point where he's kind of a guy you throw in there and don't think too much about? I mean, I, I, me, based on the numbers I've seen, I mean, this is a guy I, I knew nothing about, but I, you know, I've seen him just a little bit, and I, it, a lot of the numbers I like, and I think, you know what, I'm, I'm, I want to see how he can do against tougher competition. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it'd be hard for me to drop him for a streamer at this point. Well, not uh, just drop. I mean, like you put he's a part of your weekly lineup. You know, twelve team or ten team right, pitch right, league. Right, maybe right, you yeah. don't you don't take him out. I mean, you got to see what this guy can do. Yes. Uh, I mean, the, the biggest thing for me was that going into it, I was worried that uh, he didn't have a breaking pitch, um, and uh, and that he was a fastball changeup guy like a Chase Anderson that didn't really have um, uh, a breaking pitch that would that would uh, work for him. Uh, maybe even you could put Gossman on that list, but. Um, DeGrom uh, has been using his curveball a little bit more than a slider recently, and the curveball has done really well. So, you know, from what I've seen of that curveball recently, I think he's got everything he needs. Um, you know, people ask why he's 26 years old. Well, he had Tommy John in the, in the minor leagues, and that, that, can, uh, that can add as much as two years uh, to your schedule. Um, so if, if you were thinking about, you know, DeGrom at 24 years old with, 92, 93 mile an hour velocity, uh, beautiful, beautiful disappearing change, and what looks like now to be a useful curveball. I mean, that's uh, that would be uh, on everybody's prospect list, I think. So uh, I think people missed on him due to the Tommy John and the chain, and the, um, you know the fact that it's not plus plus velocity, and his age was a little bit old, um, and uh, and that's that's sort of why he's flown under the radar, but. Uh, He's uh, he's ready to go. I think he should. Be, he's owned in like 40, 50 percent of most leagues, and I would I would say he needs to be owned in, in 70, 80, 90 percent. Yeah, I would agree yeah. with that. I mean, I, I I'm thoroughly impressed and really really kind of sad that I didn't get to jump on that train. The upcoming schedule includes it's uh, next to believe it is a start at Milwaukee, assuming everything stays on the schedule, of course, and then uh, at home against San Francisco, who's been at times kind of intimidating offensively. Uh, then it would be uh, a start probably at Washington, uh, and they've been hitting kind of on more cylinders lately. Uh, perhaps another start out against Washington. It's it's going to be an interesting stretch, and especially if he has to go against uh, Oakland, LA Dodgers later in the season. Uh, this is it's going to be an interesting stretch for Degrom, and I think it's the smarter money is for him to continue impressing us. Other trade rumors swirling around. We talked about the Stubbs thing. Basically, uh, the exciting news for Houston fans is that uh, the most the player to have drawn most interest uh, from interested parties is Tony Sipp, left-handed reliever. I think that means, folks, that uh, Houston fans should not expect anything significant in return at the trade deadline this year. <laughs> yeah, I mean they 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 sort of scorched the earth. Unless someone wants Scott Feldman, there's not much uh, not much to, to trade away. Unless uh, Chad Qualls, but Tony Sip fits uh, fits a nice role as a left-handed reliever with velocity. And uh, that dude has the stretchiest knuckles I've ever seen. He showed me <laughs> he showed me a split finger grip, which I tweeted out uh, this weekend. And he's got um, 
He's got, uh, uh, he's, he can like touch his, his index finger and his pinky finger. Uh, he can touch them together without any effort. Um, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like you can sort of close the two other two fingers in the middle and then just try to, you can just touch them. What? Uh, what? Right? I'm trying to do that. That's, uh, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, and then I, and I was like, what? And then he just started doing these calisthenics with his fingers. And I was like, gross. <laughs> <laughs> But he's got he's got like a deep fork ball. He says he mostly has no idea where it's going, but it's a good two strike pitch for him. And um, in any case, uh, I think he's a great pitcher. Uh, I would love to have him on whatever team I root for. So um, if they can get him, I don't I don't know what his uh, contract situation is, but uh, yeah, I think uh, he might actually get traded. Someone should pick him up. Yeah, yeah, sounds like a good move to me. And I think uh, what is this is something we actually just talked about just before we started up the podcast is uh, Seattle, uh, perhaps in infinite wisdom or not, with their deal to acquire Morales, they also uh, called up infielder Chris Taylor. And they ha- have not yet seen any news as to their exact plans for him. But uh, this is a fellow who was a 2012 draft pick, has put up some pretty good numbers. Uh, thus far at Triple A Tacoma and is following a pretty good season at uh, at the Double A level. Uh, Double A had a 293, 391, 383 slash. And this guy does not have much power, uh, but does certainly offer a little bit of speed. Uh, stole 38 bases last season, uh, combined at two levels, and has stolen 14 so far this year uh, with a slash line of 328, 397, 497. Uh, I mean, he does have. Slightly above average comparison as far as his minor league numbers in comparison to major league numbers, a slightly above average strikeout rate. So uh, he does have a little swing and miss this game, but has also shown uh, quite an ability to draw a walk pretty regularly throughout his stints in the minor leagues and can hit for some average too. So this sounds like a really good prospect in terms of ability to get on base and bring some speed. And, uh, Look out, Brad Miller, uh, because I was kind of hopeful that, that we were continuing to see good things. And suddenly, I mean, the Mariners, I don't know where they get all these kind of decent middle infielders. Uh, I didn't know much about Taylor, uh, again, before this this move. Uh, is How concerned are you as a Miller owner? Yeah, I'm worried about Brad Miller. You know, uh, they, they let him uh, struggle through a lot of hard times. And, um, you know, I'll, I thought that was a good sign, but you know you can't make you can't put a split together that makes Brad Miller look good. I mean, I just I just did the last thirty days, um, you know, I was thinking maybe the last fourteen days. Last fourteen days, two hundred average, two fifty nine OBP, two eighty slugging, um, you know, below average walk rate, average strikeout rate, no power, no homers, no stolen bases, um, you know, even the defense uh, barely above scratch. So. He's been below replacement in a lot of different ways this year, um, and I, I'm, I'm afraid this is the end, for at least for this year. Not necessarily for good. I mean, uh, you know, Chris Taylor might come in and struggle, and then maybe Brad Miller uh, ends up coming back. But um, it, uh, it's not been a good year, and now with the other guy, I'm, I'm afraid that they made the choice. I mean, we we could just be looking at a, a 2015 situation. Uh, where it becomes a uh, kind of like it was this past spring training where it was uh, Miller versus Nick Franklin and now it's Miller versus Chris Taylor. But uh I mean it's yeah I'm not, I'm not encouraged this is I mean Taylor based on 
I mean, his, uh, the ability he's shown in these last few years, his first few years as a pro in the minor leagues, his ability to get on base. Uh, I, I mean, it's a player I'm looking to pick up in a 15-team mixed league. I think, he, you know, and I very, very realistically could do a little bit of fab battle for him uh, this this coming weekend in Tower Wars, uh, depending on our middle infield situations. And uh, I'm impressed about Tower. I'm, Jesus, I I can't even. It, uh, <laughs> I'm so far out of it, I don't even think I can get 11th. I need to climb out because it's going to cost me FAAB next year, and I need to get out of the basement, but I can't. I can't claw my way out. Oh, uh, well, we can see what we can do about that. If you pick up Taylor, and I'll just I'll send you some fab for him. <laughs> I know. I mean, next year. No, I know. I know, but. Uh, penalties for the worst teams, right? Right, yes. Right. Yeah. Yes. Well, I, I maintain f- hope and faith. I think if you start to listen to this podcast on Rotographs, you might start to pull your team out of it. <laughs> Damn you, Mannix. <laughs> uh, and speaking of the Philadelphia Phillies, once again, um, the first base situation, they've called it a day-to-day thing. Ryan Sandberg called it that. And uh, basically that means... Darren Ruff and Ryan Howard will wrestle every day to see who gets to play. Uh, and my money, uh, if they do wrestle, is actually on Howard because he's actually kind of buff in his last few years. He's definitely lost some weight and has really kind of uh, toned his muscle. But at the same time, uh, he's a on the other. He's on the wrong side of 30s swing and miss slugger uh, who drives in runs miraculously despite a an average that's barely above the Mendoza line. Uh, but uh, the more interesting part of this, which I think Philadelphia Phillies fans would welcome, uh, is that uh, there's even a rumor that they're contemplating a release of Howard in the offseason. I think he's due like $30 million in each of the next two and final seasons of his contract. Um, how, you think this has some fancy implications? I mean, I'm, I'm not ready to say that Ruff is going to get – I mean, I think uh, last night they faced Madison Bumgarner. So uh, – and I, I – um, I think they, they may have faced – I'm not sure who went for the Giants today. I just now thought of uh, checking that out. But, I mean, regardless, I'm not ready to call, for instance, Ruff a, a great fancy pickup. And I, I, I actually owned him in Tower Wars last year. It's a 15-team mix. He was worth it. I mean, he, he can he can put up a decent OBP and hit a home, home run. He runs into a home run occasionally. He's got a little bit of power. Uh, I don't know if he can do that on a consistent basis. But, uh, I mean, so I'm not quite set, ready to say he's mixed league material yet. But it's an interesting situation um, I'm interested to see what you think of uh, fantasy implications are of it. The thing to remember about Roof is uh, Ruff, Roof, however you want to say it, is that he's 27 and he's he's basically at his peak, so there's not much projection left. I think basically um, even asking for what you saw last year um, uh, would be asking for a lot. So um, I, especially since he's been really struggling in AAA, he had a 108 ISO in AAA and just really wasn't uh, hitting the ball with authority. So, um, in terms of what I would expect out of him is is probably just to play mostly against right uh, against lefties since he's a right-hander, um, and uh, and maybe just let Howard uh, stay out there and 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 uh, you know take his lumps. Uh, but um, I mean, cause just because. It's a little bit early to be talking about uh, getting rid of him. They still have two years and $50 million on that contract. So, <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, so I think uh, not like anybody could have seen this one coming. Anyway, I, you know, I, I see Ruff as uh, 
not uh, as interesting as someone like uh, a CJ Crone, um, who uh, is, I believe, he's back up. He's back up. He has. Yes. A, he also has a bit of a, a uncertain um, roster situation in terms of when he's going to play. But he's three years younger, um, so there's just a little bit more uh, to like about him. Even though he doesn't walk like uh, Ruff, um, he does um, you know, have power, has been hitting with power this year, uh, has hit with power in the major leagues. Um, so I think that Crone uh, can be, you know, they both will hit around 250 either way, um, I would guess. And Crone's uh, going to be the one that's going to hit for power. So if you're looking at those two guys, I, I would take Crone over him any day of the week. I, as for Crone being a mixed leaguer, uh, I'm not sure that there's a lot more projection past the sort of 260 batting average. And yeah, a guy who could hit, uh, you know, 25 homers in a big league season uh, is is definitely rosterable. But uh, that that depends on playing time a lot. So um, and if you think he's playing every day. And you think he's carved out a role, and it's not just versus lefties, uh, not just uh, you know a DH from time to time. Then, uh, then by all means, jump in. I mean, I do think he has power, and that his most of his flaws have to do with the real life game. Like he won't have a good on base percentage. He won't won't be a good defender. But that's that's uh, that's for the real life uh, real life people out there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and he's <clears throat> he's had an ISO above well above two hundred in pretty much all of his seasons except for two thousand. Uh, 13 at the double A level. Uh, so, I mean, he's, I mean, he clearly has power. Batting average will always kind of be a bit at risk. Uh, I mean, he hits the ball extremely hard. So, I mean, I think he could, he could run into a year where he hits 270 or 280, I think, pretty easily. But uh, I, I kind of like, I, well, I bring him up because I've, I've seen it listed this way on the depth chart, uh, or at least a depth chart. Um, Online is it uh, Efren Navarro is kind of like the guy. I mean, maybe they play in a platoon or something. I mean, I th- I think if you bring up a Cron Crone, I'm not heard, sure how to say his name either. Uh, but uh, I mean, Efren Navarro, yeah, he gets on base, but he doesn't really do much besides that. Left-handed hitter, so I guess he's on that side of the platoon. I'm not sure what he brings. I mean, he kind of, he's he's kind of been as a major leaguer replacement level defensively, but he's barely played. Uh, so it's really hard to kind of judgment. But basically, I think you know, it's like Efren Navarro is a guy who doesn't really offer much reward, whereas Crone could could knock one out. And maybe the Angels don't care because they already have a really good offense to begin with. But uh, I mean, I like I, I want Crone to get the playing time because uh, he offers more. I don't see why that would I mean uh, why the playing time would be in question. But I think it's kind of uh, without some some delineation, some clear direction, and this came up because Grant Green is on the disabled list. So once Green is ready, however long it may be, because I think this the injury that he has may keep him out for a little longer than the minimum of fifteen days. Who knows? But uh, I like to think that Crone has some shelf life, but it's hard to say that that's the case. I, I, and in terms of uh, the only thing, I, reason I was interested uh, to bring up the Howard thing too is uh, Michael Franco. I think, pro- I mean, he's not very good defensively at third base. Cody Ashey, the defensive metrics don't are not very kind to him. But he's, as far as um, his glove itself, like he's, I mean, he plays. He's kind of become local legendary in Philadelphia. He's come up with. I mean, he's made some fantastic plays at third pa- third base. Uh, he was kind of a one man highlight reel uh, in the Giants series that ended today. Um, but, and, and I mean, I think that 
I think the Phillies, especially in due time, if he kind of eliminates you know, a little, you know, he's, he's kind of rough around the edges, but as 250, 260 type hitter, a guy who can get on base a little bit, feel his position extremely well. As a guy who hits near the bottom of the lineup, and you move Michael Franco, who's a liability at third base, or I think a probable liability there, but uh, in general, a more reliable, projectable bat. Assuming, this is all assuming that Franco pans out, but uh, Howard is no longer panning out. There's no pan out left in Howard. <laughs> And certainly not any in roof, rough, around the edges type. Uh, but maybe that's the way they're thinking. But it does seem a little early Frank for them to consider pretty, that. Uh, Franco's not really pushing the issue right now, hitting two thirty in Triple A. Right. I mean, I, I, I do. You know, I did have a question on the chat that I didn't actually post about this, and somebody asked if I thought he was still a viable prospect, and um, I do because there is the the nice combination of uh, a power with uh, with a decent strikeout rate. He's not going to get on base a lot but uh you know decent uh you know he can make contact enough to to have a, a sort of babbit driven uh, on base percentage and you know have like a 310 320 on base percentage with a you know 180 200 iso and that that that's the left in his in his um in his bat um but um in terms of him getting there right now i mean he's got a 130 iso right now in triple a he's not really doing there he's not really pushing it i think maybe he comes up in september uh, maybe they find a phantom DL stint for uh, for Ryan Howard to take a break, um, and then they uh, they give Franco uh, a couple weeks in September to to see what the big leagues are like, um, and then uh, next year resets again with uh, Ashy at third and 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 uh, at least going into the season and Howard at first, and then halfway through next season, uh, if Franco's tearing it up, uh, it becomes easier to say, okay, we only owe Howard thirty more million. Uh, nobody's ever offered to to trade for him, um, and uh, it's now time to to move on. Yeah, yeah, that seems like a more a much more plausible and rational scenario. Um, and uh, division rival the Mets they've called up Wilmer Flores, and this is his second call up of the season. I'm not really sure where he fits at the moment because they've actually gotten what they consider acceptable play. I mean, he's Flores tears it up in the minor leagues, but as long as you're as long as you kind of have a pulse, um, you can tear it up for AAA Las Vegas. Uh, and, I mean, he still has a lot of swing and misses, swing and misses in his game. And, I I mean, I have yet to see evidence that he's kind of worked that out. I mean, do you see – I mean, is, did you see any uh, fantasy relevance? It's hard for me to see where Florida – I mean, other than you, know, you pick up this guy in an NL-only league and hopes that he run, hope that he runs into the playing time and, and keeps it. But uh, – Considering that he's a potential minus at shortstop, and now that Tejada has kind of held it down there a little bit, not that Tejada is a plus player by any means, but um, I'm not really sure where they intend to fit Flores unless uh, that you know they already know that a deal for Murphy is in the works or something like that. Right. Yeah, that that could be interesting. Maybe they're uh, they're playing some games there. They want to have him on the roster just in case they do trade him. Um, I mean. To me, I've never once thought Lomar Flores could play shortstop. I'm not even sure he could play second. So <laughs> the idea that he can play shortstop is is just uh, just impossible. Um, and then, you know, so they've got so Flores. Uh, they're going to play him at shortstop. Well, you know, the Tejada does all the things that don't uh, you can't see that well. You know what I mean? Like he has a 350 on base percentage. Well, that doesn't seem that exciting until you put Flores in there and he gets you a 300 on base percentage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, Tejada's been doing about scratch defense at short. Well, that doesn't seem exciting until you put some brick hands out there. So, um, you know, brick hands and feet and molasses. So, 
I, 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 uh, I'm not a big fan of Flores. I think he's been given too much credit for how young he's been. And I know um, he's still young. Um, I mean, he's 22 now. Um, but, um, you know, it's hard to know how much credit to give a guy for being young. And, 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 a, and a contact rate like his in the minor leagues, like a 12, 13, 14% strikeout rate like he's been showing in the minor leagues, that can turn into a 20% strikeout league in the major leagues. If you have a 20% strikeout rate in the major leagues and you have a 5% walk rate uh, and you've never and you've sort of shown inconsistent power, you're gonna you're looking like a league average player with no defense um, and uh, and no position. So that doesn't seem like a first baseman. That doesn't seem maybe it can be a third baseman. They got a pretty good one. So I just don't see where he fits in unless it's um, you know taking a shot at at, at, at second base or they just want to see what they've got in case they trade Murphy or I don't know, maybe they're trying to sell him as a shortstop. Who knows? I, I just, uh, I, I'm not, uh, I did pick him up in town just in case lightning uh, struck, but uh, I'm not going to try again. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, I mean, who knows? Maybe David Wright's dealt with some health issues all season. Maybe uh, a, a DL move is coming with him down the road. That, that's total speculation. I've not seen anything that lose it otherwise, but uh, Flores, uh, for what the Mets is thinking is worth, I guess they do believe he can play a little third base. He did, has played there, and he filled in rest of season for right last season. Oh, and I did want to mention real quickly that uh, there will be a piece. Of Paul, uh, Jeff Sullivan is doing a piece on Ryan Howard. As a matter of fact, I guess uh, kind of in conjunction with that news, it's going up on Fangraphs. Uh, very uh, well, sometime in the next day or so. So that's something to keep it, keep in mind. Maybe you get further insight there. Some items I want to run down just kind of uh, real quickly. Cubs have talked internally about we knew that a move for him, uh, Chris Bryant, was possible to the outfield. Uh, they talked about the possibility of moving him to right field, and they've already apparently had this uh, at least preliminary discussions. For now, they say they still think of him as a third baseman. Given the wealth of talent that they have in the infield and the fact that Bryant is, uh, by scouting reports, measures at least, uh, kind of considered a subpar third baseman, this seems inevitable, Yes. Uh, I think it's it's it must be saying something about um, what they think their window is and what they're trying to build for and how quickly they want these guys in the major leagues. I mean, they they have enough infield prospects where Baez or Russell, um, if they hit, um, one of them can play third. And if they kind of need two out of three guys to hit, they need um, they need two out of Russell, Baez, and Alcantara to hit. And even if they don't, even if only one of three hits, then they only still need to to fill the other position, third or sh- or, or second. So, uh, I think in Castro they have a, a long term asset. He's locked into a deal, um, and they'll get one or two young players on the infield out from the other guys, and so they're ready to look in the outfield. And I think, you know, if Bryant was an outfielder, he'd be in the major leagues this year. And I think they picked another guy, Schwarber, uh, who's a catcher, and if if he was an outfielder, he might be in the major leagues next year. I mean, that's how quickly he's, he's burning through the minors. So um, I think that they look at that and they say, okay, what if we do this? What if, you know, a lot of our guys are really close to, to the majors. What if we take, uh, what if we take Brian, put him in the outfield, and he's in the majors by next year? Uh, we put Schwarber in the outfield, and, uh, and, we put, and he's in the majors by the end of next year. Then we really know what we've got by the end of next year. We'll really have a good sense of, of what we've got positionally, and, and we can know how much we need to spend uh, – on pitching yeah that's a good point that's a good point uh i mean i think i think fancy owners who look at bryant as a third baseman long term are probably going to be disappointed but uh, as a guy who has the kind of bat that he's touted to have and so far has had in the minor leagues i don't think they should be too worried about it if there's numbers end up in the mount in the outfield 
Uh, Cubs also made some roster moves. I just wanted to give, you know, an opportunity to take a moment of silence uh, because they did option Mike Olt to AAA Iowa, whatever, but uh, they also designated Darwin Barney for assignment. Nerd! (laughs) Actually, you know, the big argument that we had was about whether or not... um, whether or not he had any trade values, so I guess we'll find out pretty shortly. <laughs> we shall, we shall. Uh, C- Cardinals making a change. I guess this seemed an, uh, it was a good possibility. Now they are uh, Shelby Miller went into the bullpen coming out of the break. He's made one appearance out of the bullpen. Carlos Martinez, that's how he started the year, uh, has been in the rotation lately, but now with a, a start coming up on Saturday, Cards had a decision to make, and they are going with Shelby Miller, who was back in the rotation. Carlos Martinez back to the bullpen little disappointed. Martinez did not flash anything uh, special as a member of the rotation. Probably seems like he still has some uh, more developing to do. Are you optimistic, uh, at least well, until he's know. a viable starter? Are you, are you optimistic about a turnaround for Miller? I don't know that I would I would say that he didn't show anything special. I mean, he, he had a couple games where he averaged 97 on the fastball. So. Uh, apologies. Um, the results showed nothing. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> So there you go. Uh you know, also, uh, I found those games very interesting because he had to throw his changeup more, um, and he hadn't thrown his changeup, so I wanted to see what the changeup was like. Uh, and the changeup was, uh, eh. I mean, it's like uh, it, it uh, didn't get a lot of whiffs. Um, it went 90 miles an hour, um, which uh, doesn't seem like a lot of change of pace, but uh, <laughs> it certainly is. Um, and it, it didn't move that differently from his sinker, so... Um, but his sinker was averaging 95. So, you know, that, that five, six, seven runs, uh, seven, seven miles an hour difference can actually make a difference. Um, and the fact that he was throwing it shows a little bit of confidence. I'm not, uh, I'm still square on the fence about him as, as a long-term, pro, um, you know, starting prospect. Obviously his own team is, um, and, uh, so they can't make up their mind. Shelby Miller, um, you know, seems broken. Um, and I don't know why he can't get any whiffs with that curveball anymore. His changeup, I thought, was decent looking before, but um, looks totally toast now. So, um, uh, you know, th- it's a very weird uh, situation. Coming into the year, everybody would have said, oh, God, I wish I was the Cardinals and I had, you know, these two guys, um, you know, being my fifth and sixth starters. But all of a sudden it's like, well, maybe I don't wish that so much. <laughs> yeah I, I agree and yeah i'm i am i'm not sure what to make of martinez but uh i mean shelby miller the story in the news as far as his performance all season has been his lack of fastball command uh i've noticed i mean some of the numbers i mean it kind of supports that i guess uh, at least some of the stuff i looked up earlier in the season i i don't see i mean none of the other None of his other pitches at this point looks like it's been kind of a plus pitch, and perhaps it's because he hasn't been able to command his fastball as a result of that. But, I mean, whatever it is, it's uh, – and I think it's some of this is just uh, whether it's not had the same breaks or anything like that. Uh, I mean, it, it does seem that there's been a bit of a difference there. <clears throat> um, that would that would, yeah, that would would kind of concern me. I mean, he used to throw that fastball a whole ton and then – and. Uh... And it used to work, but, uh, you know, now he doesn't have a single pitch. I mean, the cutter has a 10% whiff rate, so I guess the cutter, he's got about an average cutter right now, but uh, the curve is below average. The change is uh, decidedly below average. Um, the fastball is only about average, which is weird because it, it, he 
he averaged around 94 miles an hour. So, you know, I don't know what to say. We've had pieces on Shelby Miller. It certainly doesn't look good in the season. I, I have to think that someone who's done what he did before is a good dynasty buy low, especially if you're out of it, especially if you're not spending too much. So, yeah, I kind of agree with that. I do think, I mean, I think because he shouldn't before and there doesn't seem to be anything underlying other than, especially in the news story is fastball command. And that's something that a pitcher can, I don't want to say easily, but can rediscover and make everything work again. It is something that actually improves with age. So, yeah. And, and whereas, as you said, Carlos Martinez, um, if you're looking at him as a buy low, uh, maybe a different story. I mean, ultimately, we want to see a much better changeup from him, or something, so, uh, you know, another pitch or something like that, before we think he's a, at least a viable long-term asset as a starter. Uh, or as you know, so I mean, I think if you're looking to target one or the other, most folks might. I, th- I think the the default answer, or kind of the what's the word I'm looking for? Well, anyway, that you know, you you might automatically kind of assume that Martinez is still a better buy, but. Uh, Judging from just like some things about pitch type peripherals and things like that, I kind of think Miller might actually be the guy I'd rather have. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it, this last decision speaks uh, volumes on that. Yeah. You know, I don't think that Martinez's uh, production was so bad that they needed to make this decision, but they made it anyway. Yeah. Uh, Dan Hart, Dan Heron will be skipped for a start. Is that an awful July? You've talked about before where he just uh, rears back and uh, closes his eyes or puts his hands together and prays, whatever it is. Sometimes when he's in that count, when he's down, whatever. Uh, this is just kind of this. This is kind of inevitability, right? Sometimes he's a little off, a little probably a little uh, command issue or something like that. And uh, I mean, he's just he's not what he was three, four years ago. Yeah, I think he's. Uh, you know, I love him. I love uh, his split finger. I love his his cutter. I love. You know the thought that he's put behind um, the, the his game, but um, you know he's 33, and the velocity's been declining for a long time. Um, and uh, you know he's just going to depend on having uh, one of the best walk rates in the majors. Um, and I don't think he's too far off of a, a sort of uh, four ERA, you know, 1.3, 1.25 WHIP um, uh, guy right now. Sort of true talent. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, he didn't, he doesn't, he, he, you kind of, you kind of go as far as your peak, you know, as, as great as your peak is in terms of athletic tools, you kind of, that, that determines how, uh, the, the shape of your entire bell curve, you know what I mean? So, um, you know, even when he was going really well, um, it was mostly based on control and not based on velocity or, or, you know, amazing swing strike stuff. So. Um, I think we're we're seeing the sort of denouement of his career, and um, you know I think he'll still be useful for a few more years, um, especially as a fifth starter where they can skip him sometimes. But uh, he's not uh, out of the woods in terms of losing his spot if they get a David Price or whatever. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. Poor Darren Heron, Dan Heron, uh, not too long ago considered kind of one of these very good fantasy pitchers, and now is just a guy. And uh, speaking of guys, these are not guys. Gregory Polanco uh, requests. Oh, sorry, I did want to get to this real quick. Jim Johnson DFA. This is the Marlins' chance. They've had their eye on him for a while, and he is a reliever. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, I did see a note uh, on the preparations that um, someone mentioned that uh, Kyle Hendricks um, 
that it looked like he was uh, throwing uh, twice as many changeups as uh, any other pitch, yeah, um, and as as fastballs. But I think that uh, that's probably uh, a pitch FX mistake. Um, I looked over at uh, Brooks Baseball. Uh, and they've got him throwing the sinker around 40% of the time, the change around 20% of the time. And uh, since sinkers and changes um, do some uh, of the same things, kind of. Do some of the same things. And also, uh, his, let's see here, his fastball goes 90 and his change, well, his change goes 80, but maybe he's got some faster changes that, that got misclassified or something. But, um, uh, you know, he definitely, uh, he. Throws, he's more conventional than that. He, I mean, he's, he does love to throw the, the change up. I mean, twenty percent is pretty is pretty up there. Uh, but um, it, I would say that it just in terms of you know having a ninety mile an hour fastball like he did, that just limits his upside. Um, and uh, I wouldn't call him. Um, I, I would sort of. I don't want to limit his the rest of his life, but I would call him a, a sort of back end of a rotation guy. Um, which is, you know, more than I've ever done in the Major League Baseball. Yeah, it's it's nothing to sneeze at, especially when you're the Cubbies and uh, you're looking for pitching assets long term. I mean, that's kind of the that's the guy who's going to stick who might stick around, especially if he's a kind of a control changeup guy, sticks around for a little while as as the Cubs recycle uh, fifteen to twenty million dollar a year pitchers. <laughs> right. uh, we, we got a question about Gregory Polanco. Is he due to rebound? He's been he's been struggling for his, uh, roughly the last thirty days. I mean, I just got to say, I got to say, buddy, uh, your patience. Uh, you must be in, a, in an eighteen mixed league or something. Like, uh, I mean, I I like a guy who's giving me a combined. Uh, well, and I guess he he homered uh, the other night, so it was a combined um, <clears throat> nine home runs and stolen bases in his first roughly one hundred fifty five, hundred sixty plate appearances, but. Uh, I mean, given the this kid's track record, I mean, unless you're in a, uh, at least in my opinion, unless you're in, a, in an AT mixed league, uh, I mean, I, I'm kind of hanging on because of you know, the the counting stuff and and the batting average. I love the counting stuff and the batting average is going to rebound a little bit, so I'm really not worried about a guy like this. Good, I think he could improve his strikeout rate. Although his swing strike rate suggests that you know. Uh, his strike rate, he earned his strike rate, so, strikeout rate so far. I do think uh, his minor league track record suggests that he can uh, improve that going forward. If it's not this year, the next year. Uh, his minor league track record says he can uh, show more power than he's showing right now. It's hard to tell how that will interact with his home park. Um, but uh, I do think he can get it over 100 ISO. So uh, I think he can, you know, I think for, like my projection for next year would be something like 270. Uh, 10, you know, 270, 15, 20 or something like that. Um, so, you know, I think he can do something like that. You know, the, the rest of the season projections are a little bit harsher on him than that, but uh, it is also his rookie year, so. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and I, I think next season I'll be, I, you know, probably closer to the 10 home runs, but uh, quite a bit more stolen bases. I mean, I think 25, 30 at least. I mean, I think he could approach, kind of like Starling Marte material, um, maybe what some folks' optimistic projections look like coming in. Hey, so, he, did, he did still 38 last year, so. Yeah. But uh, e- either way, I mean, it's a, uh, well, 10 team mixed league, maybe. I mean, it really, it, but if you're in a shallow league, yes, I mean, but uh, I, I guess I was a little surprised to see that question. I know that he is not uh, totally impressed, but I love the counting stuff, and I think that more, uh, 
he's he's likelier to deliver that and i mean i think 252 i mean maybe the batting average sinks a little bit lower but at some point i mean i think he's going to continue to be a useful player the pirates unless he totally bombs which uh, given the, le- the type of prospect he is i don't really see that happening um and maybe i'm a little jaded there <laughs> but i think uh i i got to i got to i got to stick with a player like polanco especially i mean tw- anything 12 team mixed leagues are are uh, deeper i mean unquestionably but uh maybe even in a little bit of shallower leagues and uh finally james paxton want to know is it is he a worthwhile stash for when he returns sounds like paxton's getting pretty close could be in a couple of weeks i mean i'm think i'm pegging it more for mid-august uh, but regardless i mean tough question to answer because you you i i personally would not be in a rush to stash Paxton because uh, we might get a better idea of what Seattle's rotation is going to look like in about a week. And then uh, then it could be Paxton versus Walker or it could be uh, Walker versus no one. And then we're still, we're still talking about is there a rotation spot available? So I'm not in a rush to stash this guy. I do like the talent. Uh, and of course, then we're talking still about the depth of the league. Uh, 12-team mixed league, no. 15-team mixed league, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go stashing a guy like that in a fifteen-team mixed league. Might pick him up once I know he has a rotation spot. Thoughts? Yeah, I. I, I want to know more. I want to know more. Um, you know, there's just. Uh, there's just. It, you know, it's crowded enough where I want to know more. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I think he could end up uh, pitching for somebody else. You know, and. Uh, uh, you know, he, he, it's taken him forever to come back from this. So, uh, I want to know more. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. More information, the more, the better strain lat. So, and that's, uh, typically not associated with anything structural. It is in the back, but it's related to the shoulder. It's a muscle attached, uh, believe kind of to the back of the shoulder. Uh, and really is not, uh, historically show, indicative of anything as far as uh, structural damage. So that's, I mean, that's encouraging, but as you, we talked about, you know, injury past, per- future, maybe even present, but uh, I would wait uh, until I got a lot more information before I started running out to pick up James Paxton. And he then did, he did throw uh 93, 94 in his uh, first game back. So that was good news, but uh, that's, that's the only good news I have. <laughs> I mean, it's it's certainly not discouraging. I mean, the velocity is right back there. Uh, yeah. and that's that's about where he sits, I think. Uh, so in his good days, yeah, yeah. I think that is going to do it uh, for this episode of the Sleeper and the Bust, episode number one forty six. You know, fantastic stuff as always. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Well, it's your show, <laughs> <laughs> and by that I mean you own it. It is yours. <laughs> I. I'm just here for the party. <laughs> and I thank you for allowing me to host it. It's been some fantastic stuff. Uh, we look forward to seeing we're, We are really getting really close to trade deadline time. We expect to see probably a few more things go down uh, before that hits. Uh, and we will have probably a lot to say about those things bef- both before and after they do. So uh, we look forward to hearing, uh, hearing more about your requests. So hope uh, we've cleaned up any technical issues uh, that we had maybe a couple of things here and there in this episode, but uh, we are, Slowly but surely moving toward steadiness in that department. Thanks for listening. This has been The Sleeper and the Bust.
Boom.